I need to uh, give a disclaimer before getting to the sermon. What you're going to hear is a replay uh, of a sermon uh, as exact as I can make it uh, to a sermon I preached uh, uh, on Sunday evening, May 30th, 2004. Uh, that happened, anybody remember what that evening was? Some of you were there. Uh, it was the evening that South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church became South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. It was the night of the organization, the official organization and particularization of, uh, of this body as a particular church of the uh, Presbyterian Church in America. And Scott invited me kindly to uh, come preach, probably because I was chairman of the missions committee uh, that oversaw uh, the planting of the church, and uh, it was my uh, privilege and honor to have preached then. And when we were talking about preaching through uh, the book of Acts uh, together, sharing it as you know, pastors, and each taking a turn, uh, I asked if I could preach this particular sermon. I felt like it's been almost 11 years now. Probably time to preach it again. Uh, be sure y'all uh, heard it, and uh, a number of you weren't there, so you haven't heard it. But uh, uh, anyway, then I was preaching it to you, and now I find myself preaching it to us, because now I'm a part of, of uh, uh, this particular body of, of believers. And uh, uh, that said, then uh, let me... Uh, this is where the sermon begins. That ends the preface and the uh, uh, disclaimer and the caveat and all of that. Now the sermon proper begins. Church Father Ignatius read, uh, wrote about the church in Rome, the early church in Rome, uh, that it was a church worthy of God, worthy of honor, worthy of congratulation, worthy of praise, worthy of success, worthy in purity, preeminent in love, walking in the law of Christ, and bearing the Father's name. Many, many years later, Kent Hughes uh, applied what uh, uh, Ignatius had written to the church described in the latter third of Acts chapter 4 had to kind of bring you up to speed on where we are in Acts chapter 4. We have to go back to Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And uh, Peter and John walking up to the temple and, and uh, seeing a, a congenital cripple there begging, and uh, they healed him, you remember, and that caused quite a commotion and stir among the people that were going up to worship. And, uh, and uh, they started asking, how in the world did you do that? And so Peter begins to preach. Uh, and he had gathered a, a, an audience there, and he begins to preach the resurrected Jesus Christ. And, uh, and he was, as I've said several times now, he had worked up pretty good, had esteem, and he was fixing to bring it home when the uh, authorities walked in and arrested him and uh, uh, put him and John in jail overnight to appear before the uh, uh, 
in effect, the Supreme Court in, uh, of Israel the next morning. And so the next morning, they're hauled in before the court, and uh, they're asked the same question that the people were asking in, in, in the uh, temple, how in the world did you do that? And uh, where did you get that power? And Peter begins answering the same way he was answering the people in the temple. He begins to preach. He picks up uh, his sermon and, and begins preaching again. And uh, the authorities are, are, you know, listening to this and they're offended at it and they realize they, uh, they have to do something about it and uh, they're not sure what. what. And uh, so they, they go into executive session and and uh, say, look, we've got to put a stop to this, but how in the world are we going to do it? And they put their head, they come back out, and they tell Peter and John, now look, you just stop this preaching of Jesus. And Peter and John answer them, well, we can't. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And... Uh, and that brings us up to verse 23 of chapter 4. There's a lot more that could be said, but they were released. And when they were released, they, Peter and John, went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they, the church, heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the third time now in the book of Acts that that phrase, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, is, is, uh, you read it. You read it once in uh, chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost and then you read it earlier in chapter 4 when Peter uh, uh, began to give his response before the uh, uh, Sanhedrin which was the Supreme Court and now you read it here of, again like uh, on the day of Pentecost of the whole church uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, uh, we thank you that you've spoken. 
We thank you that you've spoken here in this portion of your word, words to us. We pray, Lord, give us ears to hear and minds and hearts and wills to respond as we ought to the glory of our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, what you need to see here, above all things, I think, is that when Peter and John return, you know, being set free from prison, uh, and came to the church and shared with them what went on, the church responded to the apostles' report by doing exactly what they had been doing. In the first place, they prayed. They prayed. They prayed. They didn't call a meeting to strategize or to appoint an ad hoc committee to study and to report back on uh, with its analysis and recommendations to uh, address the current situation. They didn't call a prayer meeting Tuesday evening at the church at 7 o'clock. They prayed. They prayed. Automatically, immediately, spontaneously, unitedly. They prayed. Why? Because they were Christians. Christians pray. We are. Therefore, we pray. I guess is our mantra. Prayer is essential to church life. It's essential to the Christian life. And notice this. Notice what they did not pray for. This is the first instance of the persecution of the church in Christian history. Peter and John have been hauled off to jail, stood before the court. By the Holy Spirit's enabling, they withstood the court. They're free. But it's begun. And it hasn't ended yet. And it will not end until the last day. They did not pray to be protected. They did not pray to be delivered. Rather, they prayed for boldness. And I think that's informative informative for you and me. I remember before I, about two weeks before I preached this sermon the first time in May of 2004, there was a new church plant beginning in our town where I was pastoring then. And they sent out, uh, before their you know, grand opening, before their first service, they began sending out to every household in the city uh, postcards and some other things uh, announcing their coming. And I remember this one card, I say for years, I may still have it somewhere, but it was an oversized postcard. And, and it announced on the front of it, church should be fun. 
And you turn it over and it talked about, you know, how church should never be boring, should never be stayed, should never be stifled. It, it should be fun. And we're going to have a fun church. And I couldn't help but think because I was, you know, thinking about this passage in Acts. Wonder how that would have played with the first century church, with this church in Jerusalem, even with the second, third, fourth century churches. Wonder how that would have played during the Reformation. Go tell Martin Luther, church should be fun. Tell those martyrs that were burned to a crisp for their faith, church should be fun. Sell that in the Middle East today. Tell Syrian Christians that church ought to be fun. Or those in Nigeria or in the Sudan. Talk to people in Colombia. Go tell the church in Indonesia, around this world, church is fun. I don't think it'd fly anywhere outside the United States today, and I don't know how much longer it's going to fly in the United States. We sometimes sing the hymn, The Church's One Foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord, which is truth. It's a wonderful hymn of the church. And because we sing that hymn, because we can sing that hymn. We can also sing what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And because we can sing that, we can sing also, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. This church was born in prayer. Before any of you had anything to do with this church, it was being prayed for. There were men and women in southeast Louisiana gathering to pray for a church plant in South Baton Rouge. There was a missions committee to pray. There was a missions committee that looked at potential church planter after church planter after church planter. There were people that are seated here today that, that were praying for that church and driving, you know, halfway across the world to worship at another PCA church while they were waiting for this to come to be. And then they started meeting together. Scott came and they started meeting and, and there was a Bible study with maybe three couples, four couples meeting in his living room praying for this church. What I'm saying is don't stop now. <laughs> don't stop now. The church prayed. The second thing they did was they witnessed just as they had been doing. It's what got them in trouble in the first place. And they just went back to it. Verse 31, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now that was after the building shook and the Spirit manifested His presence with the church. And with great power, the apostles 
were giving uh, uh, their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. The church had been baptized, if you will, at Pentecost and now it's filled with the Holy Spirit. Proof of that filling is a powerful, bold witness to the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. As it always is. As it always is. The authorities commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus. But they couldn't stop. They couldn't stop speaking of what they had seen and what they had heard. Have you? We asked last week. Has anyone ever had to tell you to shut up about Jesus? To just stop talking about him? They witnessed. And third, they shared. Just like they had been doing. Josh, uh, when he preached through the end of, of uh, the second chapter of Acts, that last paragraph that talks about the church uh, functioning as the church ought to function. They were doing what James would later tell the church to do, say to the church, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you don't give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Or what John would write, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? I find this enlightening. This has been dawn on me for years of reading through the book of Acts every, you know, so often. They didn't just give out of their income. We tithe. We give to mercy ministry out of the money that comes in, out of our income. They sold assets. World of difference. They sold assets to generate funds to help one another. They sold houses and property. John Calvin wrote, this is over 500 years ago, about 560 years ago, I guess now. They sold their own possessions in those days. 560 years ago, he went on to say, in our day, 560 years ago, it is the lust to purchase that reigns supreme. What do you think old John would say today if he were around? What if he came to visit us in our homes? I wonder what he'd say. It's important to note that this isn't communism, this sharing. It's community. There's a world of difference. Communism says what's yours is everyone's. That's communism. This is community. Community says what's mine is yours. You get the difference? You see the difference? Christian community. Is that what it looks like here? They pray, they witness, they share. Here's the point. 
is my whole point. It was just normal church life. There was nothing extraordinary about it. It was just what the church does. In the modern teaching of ethics, where they even bother to teach ethics, it's more social than personal. What's important is to hold right views. Not necessarily, not necessarily to practice them, but to hold them. And the issues are about corporations, schools, courts, governments, and the environment. Not with your and my virtue or personal responsibility. I want to read more about that. Pick up Oz Guinness's book, uh, what is it, uh, Steering Through Chaos. But what that does to us is it enables us to speak of the church and church life and ignore the fact that it's only the sum total of your and my personal Christian lives. South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church doesn't pray unless you do. South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church doesn't witness unless you do. Nor do we share unless you It's just that simple, says the tire salesman. So, three factors that make normal Christian life, normal church life, possible. In the first place, is a right understanding of God. You see it in that prayer. First two words in their prayer, Sovereign Lord. And they don't use the normal word for Lord there. They use another word, a word that means absolute master. Comes over to English as despot, which is usually a pejorative term that we use. They acknowledge the Sanhedrin's authority, but they served a higher one. They would do everything they could do to live under the Sanhedrin's authority unless and until they clashed with God's authority. Then they had to follow God rather than man. They couldn't be quiet. They couldn't be quiet. And because they had this right understanding of God, they entrusted themselves to them. Prayed for boldness and with the assumption that God would protect and watch over them. Barclay, William Barclay, tells a story about Martin Luther. 
when a papal envoy came and, and, and told Luther whatever the latest uh, word from the Pope to Luther was, and, and, uh, and Luther just said he would ignore it. And, and the envoy was, you know, pleading with him, you know, you've got to listen to the Pope because do you know what will happen if you don't? And starts talking about the, just the horrible consequences if, if he doesn't listen to and obey the Pope. And he says, Martin, where will you be then? And Luther said, then as now, <laughs> in the hands of God. They knew him as God of creation, verse 24. They knew him of God, as God of revelation, verses 25, 26, and 27. They knew him as the God of history, verse 28. They understood who he was and trusted themselves to him. They understood him. The second thing that makes normal church life possible is unity in Christ. Not uniformity in Christ, not we don't come out looking like a, going through a cookie cutter process. Every one of us is different. Thank God for that difference. We're unique. We're ourselves. We don't have to look like everybody else. We don't have to sound like everybody else. We don't have to do the same things as everybody else. We've been freed from that. We're talking about fellowship in Christ. A oneness in Christ. They were of one heart and soul, verse 32. At the seat of their being, at the very foundation of their feelings and emotions, they were bound together as one. It's the result of being focused on Christ. Two old, 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 well-worn illustrations. A.W. Tozer asked the question once, how do you tune a room full of pianos, a hundred pianos in a room, how do you tune them so you can play them in tune, at this, they in tune with one another, play them all at one time? So you go to the first piano with your tuning fork, and you hit it, and you tune that piano to the tuning fork. Then you go to the second piano, and you don't tune it to the first piano, you tune it to the tuning fork. And the third, and the fourth, and the ninety-eighth, ninth, and the hundredth, and you tune it to the tuning fork. And when they're all tuned to the tuning fork, they play together in perfect unity. Unison. They're in tune. So it is with our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't focus on unity. If you focus on unity, you know what that's going to do? Divide you. It's the only thing you can gain by focusing on unity. Because the minute you start focusing on unity, you're absolutely aware of all the things that divide us and separate us, how we're different. But if we're all focused on the Lord Jesus, we're in tune. There's unity. There's oneness. The other one is the wheel and the spokes. You know, there's the hub of the wheel and the spokes on the bike or the wagon or whatever roll out to the, to the perimeter. And, and if you're out on the perimeter, the 
spokes are that far apart. You get closer to the other, closer to the other, closer to the other. And so it is with Jesus. The closer we get to Jesus, the closer we are to one another. As we focus on him and draw near to him, if we're focused on our, on our unity with him, our oneness with him, we'll be one. It's what Jesus prayed for in the 17th chapter of John. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Unity in Christ. Understanding of God. Unity in Christ. And third, the enabling of the Spirit. Prayer, witness, sharing. That's normal Christian life. That's normal church life. Normal, but never natural. Well, not never, but not natural. Actually, never natural. But the Spirit convicts. The Spirit convinces. The Spirit brings rebirth. The Spirit brings forth new creatures in Christ. And then the Spirit fills to empower and to enable to live for Christ. That changes everything. Stands everything on its head. And all of a sudden, that which is unnatural, utterly, absolutely unnatural to us, supernaturally becomes normal. You see? When the Spirit comes into a man, woman, boy, girl's life, everything changes. And those things that are otherwise just abnormal become supernaturally normal. Well, back to old Ignatius about the church in Rome. It was a church worthy of God, worthy of honor, worthy of congratulation, worthy of praise, worthy of success, worthy in purity, preeminent in love, walking in the law of Christ, and bearing the Father's name. The grand question this morning is this. Will anyone say that about us? Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he purchased the church with his own precious blood. 
that we exist because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because of the sovereign work of your spirit within us. We pray, O oh God, that this expression of the Church of Jesus Christ, which is South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church, might be a church filled with the Spirit, in love with Jesus Christ, reconciled to you, that we might pray, that we might witness, that we might share, that we might love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. We pray, O oh Lord, for the freedom and for the enabling to be the church we ought to be. In your grace, in your mercy, in your love. For Jesus' sake, amen.